church on a day in the in the sunshine so uh so we're glad that you are here and eager to come together to worship our lord jesus christ today if you're a guest know we're especially glad that you're worshiping with us we would ask that you take the uh, side of the bulletin there where it asks for some information we'd love for you to fill that out uh tell us a little bit more about you and uh we'd love to tell you a little bit more about who we are as a church as well just drop that in the offering plate or give it to a staff member when you leave today we'd love to uh, love to be able to have that record of your attendance here today uh, right now, we're going to take a moment to greet each other. If you see someone you don't recognize or haven't seen in a while, go say good morning, and we're going to continue to worship together here in just a moment.
story of His love for everyone. He has filled our hearts with wonder, so that we always remember you and I are made to worship you.
something. Dear Lord, thank you for this day you've given us to come here and worship you. Please bless all these tithes and offerings, and for everyone who is sick or hurt, please heal them. In your name, amen.
Good morning. How are we doing today? Good. All right. I'm glad you're doing good. I'm glad you're doing good. I'm doing good. You know why? I've got a bag here with M&Ms in it. Woo. All right. Anybody else like M&Ms? You do? Everybody, you like M&Ms? Good, good, good. I like M&Ms. I do too. My favorite M&Ms are the ones with the peanuts in them. But I can't have these up here because some of you might eat peanuts and get sick, and I don't want that to happen, okay? So, um, but I've got M&Ms, and let's see. Woo, look, eyeballs follow this bag, don't they? I can put it back here, and you look over there. I put it out here. Yeah, it's like playing tennis. Look at that. All right. I guess. I'm not really good at tennis. But M&Ms. So, listen, there's more bags there for just a minute, but right now let's look at this little bag, okay? Here's the thing I like about M&M's. Let's see. What colors do you think are in here? What color are M&M's? Just tell me. What? All those colors? Wow. All right. Let's see. All right. Let's see what colors we have. Oh, yeah. There's a red. There's a blue. There's another red. Oh, green, yellow. I don't, yeah, there's one orange there. All right. Looks like i got a pretty good assortment. i got a lot of red in here. One orange. Yep. Yep. Okay. See, there's the colors. Wow. Look at you wanting to touch them. Yeah, look at there. And these M&Ms. Now, what I have to do, you know what I have to do if I want to do, if I want to be, if I want to do right, you know what I have to do right now? What, what are you doing? What are you doing in my M&Ms? Huh? Are you reaching for them? Did I call you out in front of the whole church? I'm sorry. If I was really doing this right, I'd have to just hurry up and eat them because, you know, M&M's melt in your mouth, not in your hand, okay? And sitting up here with these bright lights, they're going to start melting in my hand pretty soon. Um, but here's what I like about M&M's. They're all different colors. You see that? They, they come in different colors. But what about the inside of the M&M? You know what's on the inside of this? Anybody? What, what's on the inside? Just tell me. All brown chocolate. That's right. All of these have chocolate in them, right? Yeah, so there's chocolate on the inside. You know, I see these M&Ms, and it reminds me a little bit about our church. And what I mean is this. If you look around out here, all of us look a little different, don't we? Not everybody's the same. Some are taller, or some are shorter. Some have different color hair. There's all kinds of things that, that make us different. But you know, on the inside, you know what the Bible tells us? We're all sinners that need Jesus. And so in that part, we're all the same. So we might look different. We might even sound different. And the truth is, we might even smell different. But inside, we all need Jesus. Okay? Can you remember that? I like to think about M&M's. You know, with Easter coming, maybe I should have grabbed jelly beans because they don't melt in your hand. But since you've listened real well today, I do have more M&M's. But here's the deal. Don't open them up. 
don't open them up yet, okay? Wait till you get in your car on the way home or talk to your mamas or daddies and ask them then, can I have the M&Ms, okay? And then you say, plus, I remember what Pastor BJ taught us. Do you remember anything from Pastor Brian's sermon? Ask them and see what they say, okay? Make sure they were listening. All right. Well, let's pray, and then I'm going to do something with these M&Ms and go wash my hands, okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for uh, who you are. Thank you that you just, when you look at us, you see that we all need Jesus. Father, may we see other people through the through the eyes of of Christ. May we share Jesus with everyone we meet. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Let's stand once again.
out done, the ushers will have Reese's Cups available for everyone in the sanctuary today. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, we're going to give you something better than, uh, than candy to chew on today. Jeremiah chapter 11. Jeremiah chapter 11. We'll begin in verse 1 from Jeremiah chapter 11. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Hear the words of this covenant and speak to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. You shall say to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, cursed be the man who does not hear the words of this covenant that I commanded your fathers when I brought them out of the land of Egypt from the iron furnace, saying, listen to my voice and do all that I command you. So shall you be my people, and I will be your God, that I may confirm the oath that I swore to your fathers to give them a land flowing with milk and honey, as at this day. Then I answered, So be it, Lord. And the Lord said to me, Proclaim all these words in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. Hear the words of this covenant and do them. For I solemnly warned your fathers when I brought them up out of the land of Egypt, warning them persistently, even to this day, saying, Obey my voice. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but everyone walked in the stubbornness of his evil heart. Therefore I brought upon them all the words of this covenant, which I commanded them to do, but they did not. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the cautions that you give again and again. You don't leave us to figure this out on our own, God. You tell us what your desires are for us and how we should go about our lives. Lord, help us to be covenant-minded people, Lord, living not under the old, but the new. Uh, the covenant ushered in through the blood of Jesus, for it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. If you are reading along with the church in our daily Bible reading plan, then this week you successfully made it through about 20% of the Bible. Hopefully the wheels did not come off of your reading plan as you got into some of the more challenging passages of Scripture, but I think getting through 20%, that's a big deal. That's something to certainly celebrate. Not to mention that you've actually gotten through some pretty tough passages. Some might even say that you've gotten through some of the most difficult passages in the Old Testament, particularly for modern Western-minded readers. And if you haven't understood everything, anybody figured out everything they've read so far? Uh, I know I haven't. Don't fret. You're, you're not alone. There are certainly things that, that are hard to grasp. And I would just say this, if there are things that you don't understand... Just kind of make a note and remind yourself to come back to it on your day off. Uh, you know, you could spend Sunday going back to revisit some of the, t the tough passages that you read and didn't quite understand. I also want to encourage you in this regard, Deuteronomy 29, 29 says this, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. There are some things that are just hard to understand, things that we're not even able to to comprehend or understand as of yet. And so just understand that if you don't recognize and understand everything, that there's some things that you're just not going to understand. I will also say this, there are good resources that are available for you that are absolutely free. You know, you don't have to have access to a theological library to have answers to some of the tough questions. Uh, I want to point you to this website. If you haven't found this website, I would encourage you to find this website. This is a great site. They answer lots and lots of questions in what I have found to be a fairly reasonable way. 
And so if there are things that you don't understand about this or about that, what these folks do is, is they take those questions that are asked and then they sort of look for the right answer. And then they, uh, they cite where they get the information from. And every time I've gone to their site and, and looked at where they cited their information from, they did not get the answer from Joel Osteen's Every Day's a Friday. Uh, they, they get the answer from, from responsible, fairly responsible sources, from, from theologians, from teachers, from preachers that, that you would probably recognize. Um, and so if there's a question that you have and you're just saying, hey, this is, this is driving me crazy because I don't know the answer, you can go to their site and just look that question up. And like, the likelihood is very high that you're not the first person to have that question. I know, we're, we, I know you, you're the smartest person in the room, but I can promise you that other people have probably had the same question that you have. So I want to point you in that direction and just let you know that, that that's a great place. And, and to be fair, you're not going to get just a... Um, you know, a seminary-level education reading an article on their website. Uh, if there's something you want more information on, then you're going to have to dig a little bit deeper, and the best place are written resources that you can find. Um, of course, the best written resource that we have in our possession to answer the questions that we have is the Bible. Um, it's the Bible. The, the good news is this, is that for some of the most challenging questions, the Bible actually speaks for itself. The Bible actually answers many of the questions that you already have if you simply will take the time to dig around and see what God's Word has said. One of the most challenging things for us as modern readers is, is to understand what is really a major theme in the entire Bible. Not just the Old Testament, but there is a theme that runs through the entire Bible, and that theme is the theme of covenant, that theme of, of covenant. Now, now, we certainly use that term a lot to refer to different things, but when we read through the Bible, we recognize that God is using that term in a very specific way. For instance, if you just finished Deuteronomy, which I hope you did, there are blessings that come from keeping the covenant, and then there are curses that are attached to, to breaking the covenant. And we read that as Christian readers and say, I don't know what I think about this. I don't know how I, I feel about this. We we recognize that these are some of the scriptures that if we're honest, we just don't know what to, what to do with them. How do we grapple with some of the things that God says in talking about the blessings and curses of being in the covenant relationship with him? Thankfully, the Bible doesn't leave us guessing. In fact, if we understand the nature of the old covenant, then guess what? We have an even greater appreciation for what God tells us in the new covenant. Now granted, do you have to understand the Old, old Covenant to understand what the New Covenant means? Absolutely not. Uh, you can certainly understand what it means to be in a covenant relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. You can understand that, but when you understand the nature of the old, it only enhances your appreciation for what it means to be in the New Covenant. And the prophet Jeremiah actually is, is not focused on one or the other. He actually gives us insight into both. If you were in prayer meeting on Wednesday night, then you kind of got a preview of this, but I want to dig a little bit deeper in it this morning as we gather as the church body. In Jeremiah chapter 11, God has continued to make his case against Judah. In so many ways, the prophet Jeremiah serves as a prosecuting attorney, and he is laying out the evidence. He is building the case against the nation of Judah against, uh, for their crimes against their creator. And in chapter 11, God gets to the main charge against the nation. 
They have broken the covenant. I suppose you could say they are in chapter 11 spiritual bankruptcy because they have broken the covenant. And the word is of covenant is absolutely essential if you're going to properly understand the Old Testament. From God's covenant with mankind through Noah, through the new covenant that we have through Jesus, God uses these legal terms, these legal arrangements called covenants to guard and define the terms of our relationship. For instance, we know about the covenant God made with Noah where he put the rainbow in the sky as a sign of the covenant and he made a covenant with the people that said what? I will never again destroy the earth with water. Now that's a very simple covenant. It's a very simple contract and really it's one-sided. God makes a promise, makes a covenant with Noah and his descendants that he would never again destroy the earth with water. He would never again flood the earth. That is the term of that covenant. It's a very simple term, and it's one-sided. It's only, uh, God is the only one obligated in that covenant, but that covenant sort of sets the boundaries of our relationship. That means that when we have rainy Sundays, every Sunday in the year, we don't ever have to look outside and think, should I get my gopher wood ready? Right? Because God has defined the terms of our relationship. Guess what? You don't ever have to get your gopher wood ready. Never again do you have to worry about building an ark to, to survive a worldwide catastrophic flood. You never have to worry about that again because God has established the boundaries of that part of our relationship. He continues on, though, and makes other covenant arrangements with other folks, as he does in uh, Moses' day. To this day, we still use the term covenant to define and guard the terms of most of our significant relationships. If you think about it for just a moment, if, if you're married, then when you were married, I was married uh, 17 years and one day ago today. Uh, when I was married to the beautiful woman that I call my wife, we entered into a covenant relationship, and we took vows, uh, public vows with one another that guarded and established the terms of that relationship. There are certain things that I can do. There are certain things that I'm not allowed to do. There's the, that relationship is defined on the basis of the covenant. Uh, it's more than just a legal contract. You see, we've boiled it down to sort of a legal contract today that we can dissolve on the basis of, of just about anything today with proper judicial authority. It's more than just a living arrangement based on a loose collection of emotions and feelings. If we properly understand marriage, it is a covenant relationship. It is a relationship that is defined by God, and it has certain, certain boundaries that are there. And you can probably test those boundaries to your own peril, right? But there are boundaries that guard and govern that relationship. If you live in a neighborhood with an HOA, you probably know that that HOA has what? A covenant. And you probably hate that covenant, Right? especially when your weeds are too tall and you get a letter in the mail because you violated the terms of the covenant. But what is that covenant intended to do? Remember that in a neighborhood, you're sharing your life in proximity with a lot of other folks, right? Uh, I mean, your home probably has people next to it on either side and across the street, and, and you are sharing a very important part of your life with a lot of of different people. And so a covenant is established to guard and govern the terms of that relationship. So that maybe you've got a loose covenant that says you can get away with just about everything, but here's just the five or ten things that you're not allowed to do in our relationship. Don't park your camper in the driveway. Don't, you know, don't, whatever. 
Uh, you may be in a stricter covenant where it says that your mailboxes have to look alike and you have to have certain percentage of, 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 of dandelions in the yard, whatever the terms of your covenant are, right? But that covenant guards and defines that relationship in terms of our dwelling in close proximity with one another because you understand that if you have neighbors who don't keep the covenant, then what does that do to your investment? Well, it affects it. It lowers it. And so that covenant guards and defines that relationship. If you're a member of a church, then guess what? Church membership is a covenant relationship. It is a covenant relationship with one another. Church membership is not simply belonging to a social club. Within a church, members are responsible. Hear me. This is biblical. This is not just something we made up. Biblical, it, church members are responsible to and for one another, right? That's shocking, right? That's, that's a, that's a mind-blowing thought today. Within the church, members are responsible to and for one another. The covenant is established how? By our shared faith in Jesus and the baptism that we share. That's how that covenant is established. What's it guarded by? By the scriptures. When we open the scriptures, we look through the New Testament, we see dozens and dozens of one another statements of what we are to be for one another, what we are to say to one another, what we are to do for one another. There are dozens of these one another statements that are intended to be expressed within the body of Christ. And so when you say, well, what are the terms of my relationship within the church? Look to the New Testament and look up every time the word one another shows up and you will see what those, the terms of that relationship are. And guess what happens in the body of Christ when you begin to violate the one another's? Well, you begin to see that relationship break down and crumble. One another's are important. That's the terms of our relationship that is shared, that is established by our faith in Jesus, guarded by the scriptures. That is a covenant relationship. I recognize it today. People don't necessarily see it that way. But that is a covenant relationship. This brings us to the place where we need to consider how Jeremiah looks at the covenant. Both the old covenant as it is broken and the hope that he has of the new covenant that is promised to the people of God. As we begin, go back to chapter 11, verse 3. God says this through Jeremiah. You shall say to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, cursed be the man who does not hear the words of this covenant that I commanded your fathers when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. As you read these verses, you should notice a certain degree of familiarity, particularly if you're reading along in the scriptures with us, because you just finished the book of Deuteronomy. And it just so happens that verse 3, this curse is mentioned in chapter 27, verse 26 of the book of Deuteronomy. And what happens in Deuteronomy chapter 27, the people of God are given the law, the expectations, the blessings of obedience, the warnings that are associated with disobedience. And after Moses declared this to the people, the people did what? They signed on the dotted line. The people heard the warning that was associated with, with disobedience, and the people all came together and they said what? Amen. Amen. That's what the term of, agree of agreement is in the Scripture. Amen. We agree. We concur. We are, are like-minded in this opinion. When a pastor is preaching and somebody says amen, that is a statement of agreement. It's not just a it's not food to throw out there to get him to preach harder. It's, it's a statement of agreement. It's a statement of agreement. When we pray corporately and we all say amen at the end, it is a statement of agreement. We concur. We, we agree with the sentiment 
of this prayer. We agree with the meaning of this song. We agree with the message of this sermon. We agree with the terms of the covenant. Amen, the people of God say. Well, here in the book of Jeremiah, the curses associated with, this, with the disobedience, well, they're coming to bear. That's what's happening. In Deuteronomy, the curses were established, and throughout this long history of the people of God, it's finally in the book of Jeremiah where, the, where these curses are starting to come to bear. They've already seen it with the northern kingdom as it was destroyed by the Assyrians, and now the very same thing is happening to the southern kingdom. Remember last week we talked about the fact that, that the, the southern kingdom of Judah, somehow they thought that the presence of the temple would protect them. And Jeremiah warned them, don't, don't rely on the recitation of, of the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. That's not going to save you. That's not going to rescue you. The ritual of your religion is not going to rescue you. In reality, the people had broken the covenant. And violating the covenant means that there are consequences for their prolonged rebellion against God's righteous decrees. You break the covenant, and there are consequences. And we see these consequences coming to pass in the fact that God has finally come to the place of dealing with their rebellion and disobedience through his judgment. It's finally coming to pass. But as we think about the Old Testament, we need to keep in mind that God's judgment is not set off because he's got a, a twitchy trigger finger. Right? He's not the, he's not the guy who, who pulls the trigger because he got scared. I had a neighbor who, who uh, we, had a, we had some break-ins that were going on back, back last year sometime. Several different neighborhoods did. And, uh, and I had a neighbor who saw a shadow, and he fired his gun into the dark. That's a twitchy trigger finger. I'm glad that I was nowhere near that uh, other than in my bedroom right next to where he was shooting and could hear the gun go off. That's a twitchy trigger finger. He didn't know he would, what he was shooting at. But listen to what God said in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 through 7. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Do we hear this correctly in the Old Testament? The, the, the book of the, the section of the Bible that skeptics look at and say this is a different God. He's got different character. He behaves differently, thinks differently, feels differently. No, 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 no. The scripture is clear. What does God say? The Lord is merciful. He's gracious. He is slow to anger. Sometimes we picture this Old Testament Yahweh as if he's Zeus on a cloud with lightning bolts chunking them the first time somebody gets out of line. And the reality is, is that God is slow to anger. He is merciful. He is patient. But don't be foolish to think that his mercy and his grace doesn't have a tipping point. Don't be foolish to think that there's not a spot where God says no more. Where, where there is no more patience, where, where God sends judgment. And he does that in the book of Jeremiah. We are at the point to where God says, you have broken the covenant, you have been rebellious, and, and you have lived in folly, and now it is time for judgment. You know, it's interesting. In the book of Hebrews, the 8th chapter, verse 7, there is a suggestion that there is a flaw in the old covenant. You go back and read the book of Hebrews chapter 8, you'll see that, where, where the, the implication is that for somehow or another, there is a flaw that is inherent in the Old Covenant. 
And it is here that we see this flaw of the old covenant. Uh, At least the flaw of the people who received this covenant. In spite of their agreement with the terms of the old covenant, the reality is is that the nation of Israel was filled with hard hearts and rebelliousness. The nation of Israel was filled with hard hearts and rebelliousness. When Ezekiel looked forward to the time of the new covenant, he said that God would remove their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. And so we see inherently one of the problems with the old covenant is that the recipients of the covenant were hard-hearted and rebellious, and they were hard-hearted and rebellious for almost the entire time that they had the covenant. For generations and generations and generations, they were hard-hearted and rebellious, constantly going after other gods, constantly abandoning their covenant fidelity to God. You had moments of revival. You had kings like Josiah who came and tried to rule in righteousness. But over and over and over and over again, the people were hard-hearted and rebellious. And so if there is a flaw in the covenant, the flaw is that the people who received it, they were hard-hearted. They were hard-hearted. At the same time, in the fallen condition of these people, guess what? They weren't able to keep it. Deuteronomy chapter 29 verse 4 says, To this day the Lord has not given you a heart to know, nor eyes to see, nor ears to hear. The old covenant had a profound responsibility amongst the people of God and that throughout the generations of people who lived under it, they were learning that their heart was hard and that they did not have the ability to be what God required them to be. They did not have the means to be that which God demanded from them. One theologian said this, the faultiness of the first covenant, the Mosaic law, was not that God gave bad commands, but that the people had bad hearts. There was divine forgiveness and patience in the first covenant. There was the call for faith in the first covenant. There were promises of God's love in the first covenant. But by and large, these things did not get into the people's hearts. It was mainly external rather than internal. Obedience by willpower rather than by reliance on the spirit and ritualistic rather than personal. That was the problem. That was the problem. But Jeremiah knows that there's a better covenant coming. Over in Jeremiah chapter 31, we encounter one of the more familiar passages of the prophet. And as new covenant believers, we're thankful for Jeremiah 31. Over in Jeremiah 31, verse 31, it says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make, what? A new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the one that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, he says, that they broke. They're the unfaithful. They're the infidels. They're the ones who violated the vows. He says, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor, and each brother say, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. You see, the prophet looked forward to a day when a better covenant was in place 
a covenant that was not hindered by the hard-heartedness of the people or their inability to keep the requirements of the law, a covenant that was marked by blood that was shed in Jesus, a covenant that was marked by transformation, not by willpower and a sense of, of personal ability. A covenant that was not marked by ritual, but a covenant that was marked by the handwriting of God on the hearts of the faithful. It is a covenant that is kept, not by our ability, but by God's redeeming work in the hearts of man. Guess what, men and women, you don't keep the covenant on the basis of your ability. You don't keep the new covenant on the basis of, your, of how spectacular you are. You don't, keep the basis of the, you don't keep the covenant on the basis of your, of your gifts, of your talents, of what you can do, of what you think, of what you say. You keep the covenant because God changed your heart through Jesus. That's how you keep the covenant. That's how you keep the covenant because God changed your heart. And when we understand that it is the blood of Jesus that is the means by which that work is accomplished, we can recognize then just how significant this transition is from the old to the new. There's a new heart in every believer. It's not that heart of stone. It's not that hard, rebellious heart. It's a heart of flesh that's in tune with the things of God. So what do we do with the covenant today? What do we do with this? Sometimes this feels like it's, it's something that's in the past and we just need to to love and serve and honor Jesus today. And in a sense, you're right. But regardless of the covenant, understand this, that the old or the new covenant, we see manifestly in both that there is a commitment from God to be faithful to the benefactors of the covenant. In the old covenant, guess what? God was committed to faithfulness. And he would not violate the terms of that covenant. If, if the people did their end, God was going to do what he said he was going to do. There was never a point where God would say, I'm not doing this anymore. There was never that point where God said, I'm tired of doing my end of the bargain. I'm tired of keeping my side of this. I give up. I'm going to go do my own thing. That doesn't happen. Under the new covenant, guess what? There's never a time where God looks at you and says, I give up. I'm through. I'm finished. You're on your own. Figure it out. I quit. That never happens in the terms of the new covenant. God, it is manifestly assumed that God will be faithful to the benefactors of the covenant from beginning to end. But guess what? He expects fidelity and obedience in return. Does God want you to obey him? The answer is yes. Of course he does. He expects you to be obedient, right? I mean, he doesn't look at your disobedience and say, I had no idea. What do you think? It, it, that doesn't happen. God tells us. He's told us what his expectations are. He didn't give us his, his decrees, his rules, his, his, his desires for us, for us to ignore them and disregard them. He didn't do that. He gave us what his expectations are for us because he expects us to be obedient to them. You see, following the old covenant relationship with God, it's not easy. If you've read through the requirements of the covenant revealed to us in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you understand the challenges of obedience. You can grasp how difficult it must be. And to an extent, one could understand why someone might abandon the worship of Yahweh and pursue the cheap, easy appeasement of some foreign god. Right? I mean, when you understand how challenging it was... Why not go pursue a Baal? 
But let us not for a second think that the new covenant is any easier. Expectations are tough. Anybody mess up today? Probably so. Did you know better? You did. When you tell that little lie or you look, take the second look or whatever deception or disobedience or dishonesty creeps into our life, when your anger goes unchecked, when things go awry in your life, you don't get to say, I had no idea. I had no idea that it was wrong to do that. Because you know. How do you know? Because Jeremiah 31, 31 says that God has done what? He's written his law on your heart. It's there. You can't hide from it. You can't run from it. It's there. And you know better. But that's the good news. The difference between the old and the new is in the old, God had not done that work in their hearts. But under the new covenant, God has indeed done a work in our hearts. He has changed us. And we no longer have that hardened heart. Instead, we have a heart that is softened to the things of God. But here's the reality. We as individuals and churches don't always get it right. Guess what we do? We still look for the easy way out of things. Anybody look for shortcuts all the time? Sure we do. Uh, when we go through difficult seasons in our life, what are we looking for? The quick way to get out of those challenges. The quick way to get out of those seasons. The quick way for that suffering to end. But you know what? There's some things that we can't take shortcuts on. And one of those things that we can't take shortcuts on is our walk with the Lord. It's every step of every day walking in faithfulness and obedience. And sometimes we want instant gratification. We want things to happen quickly. But look at God's relationship with Israel in the Old Testament. How long did Israel remain in Egypt? Four centuries. Four centuries in Egypt. The majority of that in bondage. How long did Israel wander in the wilderness before they were allowed to enter the promised land? Four decades. Four decades. Moses was running from God for the, first, for the first 80 years of his life. It was only the last 40, as an old man, from 80 to 120, that he began to lead the people of God. How long were the people in exile in Babylon? 70 years before God allowed the remnant to come back. How long did the people of God go from the silence of the prophets to the birth of the Messiah? Five centuries. 500 years without a word from God. You see, our short attention spans can't fathom the reality that fidelity takes a lifetime to work out. It takes a lifetime to get it right. And so we're shocked today when marriages make it to that milestone of 50 or 60 because the reality is, is today we don't have the patience to work on things worth working on. Let's not talk about how we handle church membership today, leaving a church over the drop of a hat or some other silly little conflict. And the church today, she finds it easier to keep silent rather than be silenced. And there is a distinct difference between the two. So we should not be surprised when we find ourselves under the discipline of the Lord. Because I like to understand it a little bit differently. In the Old Covenant, there were curses for disobedience. 
There were blessings for obedience, there were curses for disobedience. But under the new covenant, as an adopted son of the Heavenly Father, as the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is discipline. Because discipline is for those that we love. And when we're out of line as parents, we discipline our children because we love them and we want to correct their behavior and set them up for success. And when God's people fudge on their commitments and slack on their fidelity, then it shouldn't surprise us when we find ourselves under that short-term discipline of God. Because the reality is is the Lord is working in us and through us and sometimes to us to bring us to that place where he wants us to be. Understand this today. You can't be part of the new covenant without actual transformation. You, you can't. You're, you, are, you have to be made a new creature. This is why Jesus uses the language of being born again. There is a sense that there is a change, a transformation that has to take place in order for us to belong to the new covenant. And that transformation only takes place through repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what you do, trying harder will not get there. If you are not transformed, if you have not been born again, if you are not made new through Jesus, trying harder will not help you succeed in this. You can't try harder, hard enough. It doesn't work. Some of us today are still trying to live like we're under the old covenant. Trying harder to be good. And the reality is, is just like we talked about last week, is you may have all the trappings of the Christian religion, but you lack the fundamental aspect of the relationship in the Christian faith. And that's found only in Jesus. Only in Jesus. Which covenant are you under? Which covenant marks your life? Are you transformed by Jesus and living under the new covenant? Or are you still trying harder to succeed under the old? I want to tell you this morning, the prophet Jeremiah looked forward to a day where there would be a new one. Not like the old one, but it's a new one where God has written his word on our hearts. And he puts his spirit within us and gives us a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone. I want to offer you an opportunity today to be part of that new covenant by faith in Jesus Christ alone salvation. Just bow your heads and close your eyes with me, please. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the covenant that Jeremiah spoke of, both the old and the new. Thank you for the old, which illuminates for us the new. Father, we pray for those in the room today who are not followers of Jesus, whose hearts have not been transformed, who are still trying to live out of a sense of, I have to do these things, I must accomplish these things, I have to try harder to be good. And God, would you liberate them today through Jesus that it doesn't have to be a, I've got to do these things, but it can be transformed to a, I get to do these things. I want to do these things. I want to be in a place that I please my Lord Jesus Christ. God, would you take those in the room today who are still in their flesh and still in their sin, God. The Bible says that they've got a heart of stone, but there is an offer for that hard heart to be transplanted today with a heart of flesh that is soft and sensitive and in tune with the things of God that indeed has God's law written on it. 
Lord, we all know if we're in Christ. There's things we can't do. There's things we ought not do. There's things that we can do, but that we probably shouldn't do because of what it does to others. We know these things, Lord. And so God, in our desire to walk closer to you, help us to listen to that law written on our hearts. You expressed it so clearly when you said the greatest law is that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And God, you want us to be faithful to that commandment, those commandments. You want us to be to have fidelity to the relationship that you established to the cross. Jesus said, if we love him, we'll keep his commands. So God, help us to be faithful to that. Not by our works or by our efforts, by our determination, Lord, but by our willingness to be sensitive to the Spirit, to yield to your leadership in us, to do that which is pleasing to you. Thank you for the new covenant of Jesus brought in through his blood. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand and have a time of invitation. If you're here and you're not in that new covenant through Jesus, I want to give you the opportunity today to put your faith and trust in Christ alone, that you can have your heart changed today and you can be well on your way to living a life that is, that is in, in tune with the Lord and is pleasing to him. We're going to stand together and sing and respond as the Lord would lead. seated for just a second. Wanda, come on up and tell us about the children's program on this uh, Saturday and Sunday. In case y'all haven't heard, the uh, children's choir is doing a musical next Saturday night and Sunday night. I want all the kids that are here that are involved in the musical up on the stage with me right now. Let's go. And this is not all of them. We've got some that are not here. But have y'all been working hard? Yes. Like real hard? <laughs> yes, they've been working very hard. 
Um, we're going to do it two times this year. This is new for us. Um, next Saturday night at 5 o'clock, we're going to have a spaghetti dinner. It's $5, and all the proceeds go to missions. That way they can be involved in mission work here. And then the performance will be at 6. And then again on, on Sunday night at 6 o'clock, uh, we'll have the second and final performance. Um, it, the musical is Back to the Cross. It is the story of time travel. This has been very interesting in trying to put this together. Uh, it's a story of Morgan, who is a young lady who is a non-believer, who through traveling through time from present to the future, 2050, and all the way back to Gethsemane, uh, she learns of the saving grace of Jesus and she gets saved. Um, it, it is a really wonderful story. Um, and the way that the kids present it, the music is wonderful. There's a lot of drama involved in this. Um, and these kids have been working on this for eight months. And we would really appreciate you coming out and supporting them. Um, and so, uh, do, do y'all want everybody to come? Y'all want everybody to come next week, right? Okay, all right, all right. And, and they're going to be uh, presenting one of the songs next Sunday morning. So when you get here next Sunday, this stage is not going to look like this. And there's going to be a time travel machine. Well, actually, not on Sunday morning. We won't have it because we have to have the drums. But anyway, but if y'all will come out and support the kids, we really appreciate it. Thank y'all very much. Oh, sign-up sheet for dinner out on the uh, uh, welcome desk. And there is a flux capacitor involved, so, uh, so just know that. Uh, so uh, you don't want to miss this. It'll be great. Um, so read your bulletin, pay attention to the announcements that are contained therein. There's a lot going on. It's a busy season, and so I do keep those things in mind. I'll ask Mike Edson to come up and dismiss us in prayer. Let's stand together as Mike comes forward to pray. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, first of all, I want to thank you for a beautiful start to a beautiful day the holiest days that we come and gather, sing praises to you, to worship you. Thank you for all that you give us. Thank you for covenants. Thank you for simply trusting in Jesus. That makes fulfilling your, our part of your covenant very easy when we do out of desire and not out of have to. Just bless us this day, Lord, and bring us back together this evening. Watch over us and go with us. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.